Welcome to Radio TFS, episode number 50. Hi, this is Martin Woodward. And this is Greg Duncan. Hey, Martin, how you hey, doing, man? I'm doing great, thank you. Episode number 50. Can you Can you believe it? I don't know. Ryan, well, we'll crack on straight into the news. Um, Brian Harry's been busy blogging, uh, as you might expect. So over on um, his site, if you go to uh, tinyurl.com slash vs2012 update one BH, you get to learn all about what's coming in the... Um, the quarterly update this fall. So we've talked about it already, haven't we, about the fact we're going to do these quarterly updates? Yes. Yeah. We're looking forward to that. I, I, I like that uh, you know, service model kind of deployment thing. And it, you know, with the quarterly plan, it seems more uh, deliberate than, than the past feature packs and service packs and tools and stuff that were done in 2010. Yeah, I'm hoping it means that people will be able to... Um keep up to date with them easier uh, i'm interested to see we, we you know we collect lots of analytics and stuff if you if you opt in for um for the customer improvement program then uh you send data back to us you know and it tells us like if, if you installed things and how quickly things got installed and all that sort of stuff i'm, I'm interested to see what the take up's going to be of these quarterly updates because you know, I know for a lot of people, they haven't got Visual Studio 2012 installed yet, and it's an update coming along. So We'll see how it goes. It's quite exciting. There's a bunch of really good stuff in there, though. So I do hope people, um, you know, I do hope people are able to upgrade to it. The the key is, um, Brian goes through, in his blog post, he goes through some of the highlights. Um, in SharePoint and DevOps were two big areas of focus. Um, over on the SharePoint side, um, you know, he's talking, the blog post has got a bunch of detail, but, you know, he's talking about the um, the way we you can actually customize your uh, IntelliTrace collection plans and you can customize them to, to filter out a lot of the, um, so you can get quite a lot of noise in SharePoint, you know, because SharePoint's a big application. Right. Um, it helps you filter out some of the, the stuff that SharePoint's doing and just, you know, see your bits of the application, which is quite cool, as well as things like the coded UI support and being able to load test and unit test your SharePoint application. So, yeah, it's quite some good support for ALM for SharePoint coming. And then um, over on the manual testing side, probably the thing I'm actually most excited about is um, being able to see some of the test case management stuff actually in in the web that will really help i think with uh you know looking at your um you know test cases and being able to plan them out and just generally making uh the tests very integrated with the rest of the team you know rather than it being like something you have to fire up test manager for or the testers look at you know it's something that everybody's looking at is the is the test cases so i'm excited about that nice and then we're also doing um brian talks a bit about it how we're um the 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 tfs updates we're not um it's not for sure that they will happen every quarter because obviously upgrading your you know upgrading your client is a bit easier because um you get notified that there's upgrades there and you know and we've built a bunch of infrastructure in to help you upgrade your clients and keep them up to date with the very latest and greatest Mm -hmm. the server's a bigger deal so um we're going to send out the quality update um and you know with help catch everybody up with um uh, with where TFS preview is in terms of the version of TFS, 
Um, so that'll be that'll be cool to see, and everyone will get to benefit from all the great features you know that's happened in TFS Preview since since TFS 2012 RTM, things like the, the Kanban support and lots of little usability tweaks that we've we've managed to glean by watching everybody use the live production service. We've managed to you know improve and tweak and improve the performance and things, and you know all that's all that's built in and shipped out, so customers can install that one if they want. And it go ahead. I was going to say I saw something about a, a 260 character path limit. Are, are are they breaking out of max path here? Or? Well, um, Brian explains it quite well in the post. It's not actually so. The 260 character path limit is this thing that's like come over from um, the old Windows APIs. Um, and there's a bunch of Windows APIs on the client that. Um, that don't support local paths of greater than 260 characters. So if if you use C code on WAC as your path, that's an old style path, and that can only be a maximum of you know of uh, 260 characters. But if you use an NTFS style path, so if you if you begin it with double backslash um, and then you know use one of those style of paths, you can actually get. I think NTFS supports. It's really ridiculous. It's like four A paths or one. Uh, actually, it's thirty-two K. If you use the uh, double whack question mark whack kind of thing, that, that's something I do in my day job dealing with these long path issues. And yeah, NTFS could actually support its as the file system paths that are thirty-two K long. Yeah, that's crazy. <laughs> and um, and it would. I mean, I'm a Java developer, so I need all those thirty-two Ks for incredibly long names, you know. So. Um, yeah, but the 260 character path limit, what we're actually, I know, well, you know, now you're setting expectations badly. <laughs> 32K is good, all well and good. What we've been able to do is, um, it's not the it's not the improvement we want fully. We haven't gone and fixed it, so, so that all these magical APIs now work with longer paths, unfortunately. All, all, we've, been, all we've done, we're chipping away at the problem, basically. Um, so the first thing we've done is, We've enabled server paths to be up to 400 characters. Now, that's, you might think that's a bit weird. Well, why 400 characters, first of all? turns out um, that uh, we ha- the maximum size for an index is uh, 1,000 bytes or something. And um, we need to restore, we use the path as part of the index in a particular column, in a particular table. And um, so the maximum size it could be was uh, 1,000 bytes. So, you know, uh, you've got a, um, 400 characters. It might be a Unicode path, so... That's now 800 bytes, and then some some room for the rest of the stuff we already had in that in that index. So well, we'll see how you know that that improves it a bit. That means you can actually have decent branching structures, and you don't need to worry really anymore about your um, where you check in code inside the path space in TFS because you're still limited to 260 characters in Windows for a lot bunch of stuff. You know, for .NET projects and things, you're still limited to 260 characters in total in your path on the client side um, but you can check that in deeper into a folder structure into into in, in your workspace so if you've got you know a particularly complex or verbose branching structure you've no need to worry about that that all works just fine so yeah so that's good that, that it's a it's an improvement at least and you know we're heading in the right direction if anybody can um, i've been you know 
talking to Brian about this 260 character path issue since I started at the company. It was one of the things I had on my list as one of the things I wanted to fix. And, you know, luckily I got in and Brian was already on it, like, you know, talking to the various different teams. It, it's broken lots of different ways. Like even the, I think my favorite example is the the Win8, Win32 API for loading a DLL. That only takes a 260 character path. Hmm. So um, we could we could build all this code to actually you know we could we could make .NET magically switch between C colon slash and double whack slash question mark slash whatever whatever it is we can make .NET do that magically for you but then you know and compile your obligations and then you try and load them to run them <laughs> yeah 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 I know so, the BCL team has blogged on on the long path issues in the past and I'm not sure where that went. But yeah, it's not a you know just because the file system supports it, the, the shell around it—that's another thing. We need to we need to just keep chipping away at it. I think so. You know, hopefully we'll get there in the end. Anyway, but there's a bunch of other great stuff in there as well. Like you you know, in terms of the Visual Studio stuff, it was also great to see they've done a bunch of work over in the architecture tooling. So um, they've got this new feature called Code Map that actually allows you to build up a, a dependency diagram as you go along, and you know, as you looking through code. One of the things I really like about our, the way our architecture tooling is going and is is that it doesn't assume you have a green, you know, you have a completely greenfield project. It assumes you have code that exists and you want to try and understand that code, not, oh, I'm a, you know, pie-in-the-sky architect and I get to design, I get to do some great UML models and designs and stick them up on the whiteboard and, you know, of what, how it should be. <laughs> right, right. It actually helps you figure out what reality is and drill down into that. So I like that. That's all good stuff. So that was a bit, bit of a big first story. There we go. We probably covered the whole podcast talking about that one story. But it's a read. So if you go to, again, tinyurl.com slash VS2012 update 1BH. Cool. So the next story is um, one of the things that uh, always bugs me personally is as a developer in a business unit uh, – Knowing how much something is being used, you know, yeah, you ask, you implement a new feature, you implement a new thing, and then you kind of wonder how much it's going to use. You ask the business users, and they say, "Oh, yeah, we use that a lot," or "Oh, what are you talking about?" You know, that that's new, or you know, sending out the surveys of, "Hey, are you using this feature?" and and and, and how much are you using it, and how long is it taking? Those kind of things. Those kind of questions have always bugged me. And, you know, we've been seeing in many of Microsoft products the telemetry. You know, that's basically what I want. You know, I want telemetry in my application. You know, the planes have had it for forever and, and cars and, and all this stuff. Well, you know, I, I want the same thing in my application. Um, Charles Sterling highlighted an article in MSDN Magazine talking about the preemptive analytics for Team Foundation Server. And, and Charles, Chuck, talks about uh, it's, it's a slimmed down version of the article, and you can see that at tinyurl, P-E-A-T-F-S, is, is uh, Charles' article, and he you know, goes through the steps, installing it for TFS, um, installing the extensions, instrumenting your application, because obviously you need to instrument your applications. Sure, you could use some sort of AOP kind of uh, aspect, op- aspect-oriented programming approach. Uh, I, I don't like that, actually. I, I would rather instrument my application and, and say exactly kind of the areas and, and the, the things that I want telemetry for. 
Uh, and he goes into you know uh, um, building the executable and then configuring the aggregator, deploying your application, and, and then he refers over to the the main MSDN article, which you can get at tinyurl msdnpea, uh, and this is Chris Kinsman goes about it into more depth into what it looks like on the TFS side, the dashboards and, and the reports you see and that kind of stuff. So, I, you know, my personal feeling is that runtime telemetry is as important as unit testing, as uh, documentation, as good code. You're, you're, you're not done done until you have in, in 99% of the cases that runtime telemetry capability you know uh, so that's my rant it's cool no and it's uh, that article in the um, MSGM magazine if you you know don't be doing that over a 3G connection that cost you four <laughs> ginormous article so it's good stuff hey um, there's Greg Bohr's got an interesting um, article he posted up a lot of times people say you know oh we don't want to estimate in hours I was actually having this discussion uh, with my team just recently um, because they, the notion of hours, you then start to get into all these debates about like, you know, well, does, does that include tax and, you know, does that include how long it takes me to update my hours and, and all those. And the fact of the matter is it's not, it's not elapsed hours. It's, it's hours on task, you know, without, because because then if you estimate it's going to take you eight hours, your capacity is you know say six hours a day or five hours a day because you don't get eight hours work done in a day. I wish we did, but you just don't. So um so you know it's fine to do that and that's good. But anyway, some people don't like to use hours. They like to abstract that away and use like story points or use an abstract number that then isn't associated to an actual time increment. You know, so they don't feel bad about it. And they might know that say. You know, five of them is half a day and 10 of them is like kind of a full day or, you know, kind of that sort of sort of thing or whatever, however you want to do it or use Fibonacci sequence or whatever. So um, Greg's posted up a story that it's a, it's a really, it, you know, it's people commonly ask him, hey, I don't want to use hours. Um, how can I use a different number? And truth is, you can use any any number you want. It can be any story. But on the there's a couple of places in the UI where it displays a H. So it obviously makes you think hours. Um, can you change that? And the, and the answer is you can. And this is a great article um, at, again, tinyurl.com slash custom agile because it introduces you to the witadmin.exe, um, the common process config. So you do export common process config or import common process config. And that's this XML file that contains a bunch of really handy settings you'll see for actually how the um, agile planning tools work. And, you know, if you've customized your agile, your customized your template and you want to get some of those customizations to be reflected in how the agile planning tools work and things as well, that's a good, good way of doing it. So, um, yeah, have a look at uh, Greg's article, a custom agile uh, article. But also, um, he did a great uh, session at TechEd North America uh, this year that that goes into more detail on this and shows you some of the other things you can do. So if you see that and that kind of whets your appetite, then also check out um, tinyurl.com slash techeddev217. And that'll give you it's a an you know seventy five minute long session that Greg did very highly rated all about customizing these agile tools for your process. The uh, article he's talking about he's talking about the uh, wit admin dot exe can the TFS power tools 
do this or do you have to go to the command lines or do you know? So, um, yeah, the, the TFS power tool is more about the process template customization. It doesn't know about the um, these things yet, you know. So, uh, yeah, you want to, I'm afraid it's out to the command line and hacking around XML files and notepad. But the XML files are pretty short. It, it's not a big XML file like the work item is when you look at it. It's, um, it's quite a short one. It's very readable, so... Cool, cool. So we, we've talked a lot, and, and many Microsofties have also talked a lot about the round-tripping capability uh, versus um, Visual Studio 20, 2010 SP1 and Visual Studio 2012. And that's a big you know, selling point to get 2012 into the business hands. You know, we can start doing the goodness that is 2012, and we don't break like past Visual Studio version upgrades have done, where it reaches out and tweaks the, the project settings or solution files. Just recently, Microsoft released an update for Visual Studio 2010 SP1. It's basically, it's, I'm calling it a round trip uh, update it, where it fixes. It's not a huge update. There's three issues that it that it targets, but primarily it's meant for you know those kind of things. Uh, for example, you cannot open a coverage file that is created in 2012 in 2010. You can't you know and vice versa. Uh, test artifacts. Um, that are assigned in TFS 2010, and you're un- unable to reassign it when you're, you know, in those kind of uh, situations. Yeah, I didn't explain that one well. If you would actually like the more details on that, that's tinyurl vs 2010 update for 2012, and you can see these issues. And there's a, an associated knowledge base article. That goes with it, but I, I just like seeing the continued uh, round tripping, you know, uh, work being done. It's quite reassuring, isn't it, as well? Because you, you know that if they're worried about details like this, then there's been a lot of work that's gone into making sure this works for you. Yep, absolutely. Hey, Greg, it's about time I had a sponsor shout-out. Since we've been upping these shows, our bandwidth bill actually has doubled. I got the bill yesterday. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, can we have a sponsor shout-out for, our, for our, our good friends? Absolutely. And uh, due to some feedback, you know, I, I might not have sounded as excited and happy to have a, a sponsor as before, you know, but uh, we really are. You know, the free is not free. Um, the bandwidth is not free. So I, I really want to thank... Uh, the, our sponsors for episode 50 of TFS, which is brought to us by SAS Made Easy, a leader in hosted TFS, dedicated virtual servers, and TFS ALM consulting. You can reach them at www.sasmadeeasy.com. That's www.sasmadeeasy.com or at sales at sasmadeeasy.com. And, and please thank them for helping us bring this show to you. And now back to, yeah. back to the Thanks show. Back to you, Martin. Thank you. <laughs> Thanks, yeah. So um, I was uh, talking to um, Terje Sandstrom. We're talking about some um, uh, checking policy stuff. And I was asking, you know, how are people – are people still using checking policies and, you know, how you're deploying them and, and you know, because I know deploying a checking policy and especially versioning of them and things can be quite problematic. And uh, what what Terje actually turned me on to um, was it's a, a great way of deploying things and I just wanted to highlight it to the, to our listeners. Uh, this is, um, I mean, and I stole his idea blatantly for uh, for the, I'm working, I've been working on the Pro TFS 2012 book with, uh, with Ed Blankenship and Grant Holiday and, um, um, you know, I basically completely stole his idea and used it in Chapter 7, which is all about checking policies and stuff. So it 
when the book comes out, you can read all about chapter seven and see it all laid out. But I thought we'd uh, you know get it for free and we'll talk about it here on the podcast. So there's a couple of things you can do. Doing a check-in policy is pretty easy. You, you know, you just implement um, you implement a class which does the work, and then you pop up a form to actually show you know edit controls and things, and that's that's pretty easy to do. But then it's deploying it because um, in the past. Checking policies weren't written as a as a handy little meth plugin that could be automatically found. It was actually um, you have to set a registry key in a certain place, and and then the checking policy can get discovered uh, by Visual Studio. But uh, what um, Jim Lamb uh, blogged about, if you go to tinyurl.com/slash/custom-policy. Jim uh, blogs about how to um, deploy a check-in policy. It's what's called a V6 package. So a V6 is a Visual Studio plugin. Um, so you can you can depl- you can build a check-in policy, and then you build this little setup solution, a setup project, which um, which packages up your your check-in your your assembly that you want to deploy inside a inside basically a custom zip file with a manifest inside it. Um, and not only that. You can specify a uh, a config package, a, a, a file which gets read by Visual Studio at startup, and um, it get it gets used to insert registry keys and, and things like that into into Visual Studio's registry hive. So you can not only can you use this. Um, v6 plugin mechanisms this v6 packaging mechanism to to package up your assembly and 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 into a way that visual studio can easily import you can also get it to create the registry key for you so that visual studio knows that this this package exists and loads it in which is cool so you take that oh and to to do v6 packages it took me a while to figure out to actually be able to create a v6 project you need to go to um if you go to aka.ms/vs SDK that'll take you to the very latest version of the Visual Studio SDK, which is um, you know for 2012. Uh, so make sure you get the 2012 RTM version because the RC version's out there still. So get the get the correct version. You can install. You can create a V6 project, and it's very easy, very easy to do. Now, once you've created your V6 your V6 project, you can double click on it just fine. You can and that'll actually open it inside Visual Studio and install it. Great. But what about deploying them? to your um, enterprise. Well, this, you know, inside of uh, Visual Studio, you've got the extension galleries, and you can actually go and find plugins and solutions that people have posted over at the... um, uh, the the um, the Visual Studio gallery. Uh, um, you can go install them. You know, get get community plugins and things. Mm-hmm. What I didn't know is you can actually have private galleries as well. So if you go to tinyurl.com/vs, sorry, tinyurl.com/private-vs-gallery, there's a blog post there from the from the team that manage the VSIP team that manages the extension manager, and you can actually see. Um, how to do that? And you you just go into the the tools options and you know, extensions, and you can add additional um, extension galleries. And the tricky bit is, and this is where there's a bit of you know a bit of voodoo still involved. Um, you have to. It's basically an um, an RSS feed that that exposes these, and it uses um, you know. So you have to point to where the uh, extension is. So what you do is you create a website. You you take your V6 file copy it up to the website and then you create um an atom you know an rss feed and a, a base atom an atom based rss feed 
um, which points to this V6 provider. I was hoping that there would be some kind of um, tool that could automatically inspect the v6 package and get the metadata you know get the metadata out of it that it needs and automatically you know it, it just needs to be a pretty simple asp net mvc app and it could build the rss feed for you automatically but that doesn't exist internally as an easy consumable tool yet but um i've been talking to some of our mvps and i know a few other guys are, are planning on you know i've got it on their back burner now so it'd be great to see as a community project but for now you can just hand create this um, rss feed and and use that to help you deploy your extension gallery but when you do it it works really really well and the best thing is um you obviously it helps you deploy updates and things like that because if you want to get updated then um then you just you know it just arrives inside visual studio and gives you a new version and helps people deploy stuff and you not only can use it to deploy check-in policies you can use it to deploy other plugins into visual studio and other integrations to visual studio so it's a great thing yeah that's awesome uh you know deploying check-in policies has always been interesting but the deployment story always kind of uh bugged me and it made it a little bit hard to keep everybody in sync but if you merge these two together and especially the update story you know that's awesome it makes it truly seemingly viable yeah you know so yeah and the, the, the parts are quite spread around yet as i say in in my book in chapter seven <laughs> uh, i try and stick them together a bit i'm actually we get to nominate to, to our publisher a chapter we like, want to give away for free as like a a way of you know as a sample chapter and most authors just go with chapter one which is a bit boring because it's you know it's the introduction chapter that tells you all about the book and so what we did with the um alm book and we've done it in the past with the cfs book is we actually find a chapter we think is going to be useful for people and give away that one <laughs> instead I've nominated this one already, chapter seven, as a as a as the one I want to give away because um, yeah, I was quite I was quite pleased of it once it all stuck together. But if you go to tinyurl.com/slash/private/vs/gallery and tinyurl.com/slash/custom/policy to figure out how to actually create the V6, then you're well on your way to figuring out how to stick it all together. Great, that is awesome. Yeah. I have to blog about that. I'm going to have to steal steal that for a blog post. Anyway, um, so you guys all know, you know, I, I, I like training. I like free training. You know, being a being a company, being a line and business guy, getting uh, uh, okay to spend money on training can can be challenging sometimes. You know, so anytime we see free training is good training, and when it comes from a you know top tier you know, Microsoft partner like Nudesic, it, it's hard to pass up, you know, especially because you can do these all, these are all online, they're all remote, you can do them in your bunny slippers, um, hard to beat. So if you go to tinyurl, fall Nudesic, that's F-A-L-L-N-E-U-D-E-S-I-C, you'll get the latest post. And they go from, you know, the first one mentioned is October 30th. So you've got some time to sign up for these. It's not like they're going to be, you know, tomorrow or anything. Uh, and, and they re- go the gambit from Scrum and Agile Management with VS 2012 to requirements and storyboarding to a DevOps, a developer testing in Visual Studio, small team productivity, uh, making uh, developers more productive with Visual Studio uh, Team Foundation Server if you're, like, trying to sell that to, uh, you know, management they're all there. They're all free. They're a click away. Hard to beat. Great stuff. Hey, um, on extensions, we, you know, just talking about extensions, uh, Tiago has got a great post up over at tinyurl.com slash tbe0-3. 
Um, and you can learn all about his task board enhancer, you see, TBE, uh, version 0-3. And um, it's a plug-in to Web Access. But you didn't know you could do that. So Web Access does have a plug-in model. Now, it's currently really only used for, um, for, for, for custom work item controls and things. There is an API there, and it's, it's built pluggably. That's how we actually build Web Access. You know, the different teams that contribute to Web Access build them as modules, and we plug them in. But um, we didn't get chance to finish out the API as, and make it as stable as we wanted in the RTM release. So um, we haven't really published the the extension model much more than showing you how to do custom work item controls because cause it's going to change. And, you know, extensions that people write, we're not guaranteeing that they'll, they'll stay working on upgrades and things because we're probably going to change our APIs around a little bit before we're completely happy with them. So um, be warned, first of all. But uh, the, peop- the listeners of this podcast, you know, a little bit of it'll work now but won't, might not work in six months and you'll have to write it again kind of thing. That, that doesn't scare you guys off, I know. So uh, if you have a look, tinyurl.com slash TBE0-3, not only is it a useful extension, it, show, it, it allows him to collapse all and on his uh, storyboards and you know to collapse and expand them all very, very quickly with a single click. It's a great example of actually how to use, how to write a web access extension. And being Tiago, is obviously all the source code there and everything. Well, it's actually just a zip file with some JavaScript in. That's how the extension model works. But uh, yeah, have a, have a quick look. Yeah, I love his work from when we first started talking about it with the auto-refresh, and now he's you know, continuing to push it forward. Dig that. Yep, he's a, he's a, he's very, very, a very clever chap. He also did some great work um, with the, you know, in the architecture tooling, you've got the, the DGML stuff. He just, he's done some great work with that DGML tool there as well, doing some cool visualizations with it. So, no, he's a good guy. So, it wouldn't be a Radio TFS if we didn't talk about the uh, ALM Rangers. So, uh, Bruno Cap... How do you pronounce that? Capiano? Capiano. Bruno! El Bruno. I just say El Bruno. Sorry. That's on your website. That's what I'm calling you. All right. El Bruno, whom is one of my favorite bloggers. I, I actually highlight his stuff on the Coding for Fun blog and the Connect stuff and everything else. Uh, has uh, mentioned in article tiny URL VSALM level highlighted we all know about the um, and it, I've totally drawn a blank the capability levels you know that we've seen the developer one that shows you know how um, mature your development processes are CMMI El Bruno talks about uh, um, a, a like article for your ALM processes, and this is the ALM assess- assessment guidance done by the ALM Rangers. And this guide is a single-page PDF. There's a, a Excel spreadsheet version of it as well, and, and a PowerPoint slide goes through the different ALM areas: uh, architecture and design, engineering, uh, UX, configuration management, governments, deployment operations, testing, project management, development. Um, down the page, then across the page from basic, standardized, advanced to dynamic, and just giving you some ideas. It's not a hard written in stone thing, but it's kind of like, you know, if you're doing this, you're doing good, and here's how to improve. We all want to improve, 
I, I, I you know, believe that in my soul, that we don't like sticking where we are today, that we want to improve, but we don't necessarily know where to go. And that's what this kind of thing is and why I really liked it. It's, it's like a roadmap to a better process. You know? So, um, again, you can get this at tinyurl, VS, ALM level, and um, makes for good reading, really good reading. Okay, well... It's a grid. It's a page. It's a cheat sheet for not just good reading, but uh, uh, good development. There you go. It's great as well because I find, you know, lots, I talk to lots of different levels of maturity of people in terms of processes, you know, from people who don't have any source control or any build automation to people who have loads of that sort of thing. But it's quite interesting as well how sometimes people will be, be very mature in, say, their source control models and things, but completely not mature in, say, how they're doing build or how they're doing testing. You know, it's, it's interesting where your, where your blind spots are and something like that helps you identify where your blind spots are and what might, be, what might, might you go work on next. Hey, well, it's about that time of the show already, Greg. Would you believe it? It's uh, we've, we're past the half, way past the half hour mark already. So uh, it's probably time we started to wrap up. Do you have anything you wanted to shout out to the listeners? No, I just actually want to thank you, thank you, thank the listeners. Um, where the feedback is coming in, uh, you know, uh, thank you for helping us get to show fifty, and uh, we'd love to hear more of your feedback. You can always email us at radio. TFS at gmail.com or leave us a voicemail message at 1-425-233-8379 and tell us what you think, good or bad. You know, if it's bad, um, we'll, we'll send it over to Mickey and Paul and let them read it. If it's good, you know, Martin and I will read it. Uh, it, it suggestions, comments, we really appreciate it. We certainly do. I have the great, you know, I'm so lucky in my job in that I get to go out and talk to people quite often. And um, frighteningly recently, the number of people have come, you've come up to me and just said, hey, you know, thanks for, thanks for picking up the episodes again. Thanks for getting them out the door regularly again and, you know, giving us feedback and ideas of shows and things. So, yeah, it really is appreciated. So, anyway, thank you again for listening and uh, we'll speak to you next time on Radio TFS. Radio TFS.